Hello and welcome back to Is Anybody Out There, a podcast series about loneliness brought to you by The Connectory. I'm Judy DeMello. And I'm Jeremy Warshaw. Today's episode is called A Lonely Planet because loneliness is not simply an American issue. Certainly in these days of social distancing and lockdowns, many more people all over the world are suffering from loneliness and isolation. But, we'll say this again, loneliness has been around long before COVID and will continue to be around long after we've all been vaccinated. When we started digging around, trying to get a bird's eye view of loneliness around the world, what became clear is that many countries have started initiatives to help curb loneliness. But sadly, the U.S. is woefully behind in this department. Mostly, in America, resources and programs are geared towards seniors, and that's great. But it's not only seniors who suffer from loneliness. What about millennials and Gen Zers, as we reported in an earlier episode? And how about marginalized members of our society, like immigrants and LGBTQ folks? Even new mothers reported a spike in feeling alone and isolated following childbirth. So we figured that maybe, just maybe, by highlighting some of the efforts from around the world, we could actually light a fire under some butts in this country. Well, let's start with shining the spotlight on the UK, because I do believe that's where most progress has been made as far as raising awareness, destigmatizing loneliness, and just giving some oxygen to this necessary conversation. Why do you think that is? Well, actually, I'll, I'll share a short clip from an interview I did with Paul Can, who's a founding member of the Campaign to End Loneliness, an organization that's really at the forefront of the loneliness movement in the UK. I asked Paul that very question. What's your explanation for why um, you guys took it seriously? What was going on, do you think? Well, I think it is certainly true that the UK has a strong civil society in terms of we have a very strong tradition of charities operating to campaign, to advocate, to draw attention to disadvantage. This is not an issue that you can deal with as a one-off. It's not an issue that's going to go away. Loneliness is universal. It affects people at all ages and stages. And so that gave us a commitment and a stability, which made us able to take the message out and work on it with government and with the media and with the whole of society. What are the themes and the approaches that you think are worth telling us about that do make a difference, have made a difference, and why? I think some common themes are coming out of all the research that's been done. And there has been a lot of activity and research, a lot of funding, actually, by our own national lottery, which has put a lot of money into supporting something it calls aging better. And it all points towards finding social interventions, first of all, social interventions that work in tune with your own motivation. You know, we are all different and unique and wonderful, and different things will fire us up. So initiatives which play to those particular interests, and I I wanted to give a couple of examples, and also bringing people together in group work. These are themes that seem to be particularly powerful. 
in all the loneliness initiatives we've studied, and we've looked at hundreds. There are some things which perhaps do not kind of empower and do not help people to move forward in their feelings and in their emotional state. And sometimes you can do the wrong thing from good intentions. But the kinds of things that I would like to illustrate, uh, Jeremy, include the role of creative arts. Oh, yes. And creative arts is a funny old phrase, but I'm talking about singing, dancing, doing anything which you really enjoy, which is creative expression, which is self-expression. So there are lots of examples, and I'm a singer, so I'm particularly keen on choirs that come together because they come together to make music and make beautiful things, hopefully, but they, they also come together because they connect socially, which is why it's been such a terrible time. So I have absolutely loved the explosion of choirs over the last few years. And this is across the world. But you know, in the UK, we have the wonderful choir called the Can't Sing Choir or <laughs> the choir with no name. And the evidence seems to suggest, the research, that there is an icebreaker effect that engaging creative arts like going to a dance class, going to a pottery class or whatever, these are all good things to do. But the singing thing gets you there quicker, breaks the ice quicker, which I think is very interesting. But, I mean, it doesn't have to be creative arts. It's things which give you joy and give you connection at the same time. Yes, I think awareness and social consciousness around loneliness has been going on for a while in the UK. So it does feel like they're leading the rest of the world, which is great. And, as we know, England was the first country to appoint a Minister of Loneliness in 2018. This appointment made it a parliamentary priority to reduce loneliness. And actually, the Joe Cox Commission on Loneliness was instrumental in pushing for this historical appointment. And that's why I was so lucky to speak with Sue Moore, the organization's current CEO. Here's some of our conversation. Welcome, Sue. Thank you for joining the Connectory. Thank you very much for having me. So to the extent that you're able, can you set the scene in the UK of just a few years ago? How was loneliness talked about? And was the government at all involved in acknowledging this problem? Well, I think we certainly saw a sort of sea change in the loneliness landscape in the UK in 2016. So before she died, Jo, who was really passionate about loneliness because of her own personal experiences of loneliness, she set up a cross-party commission to really, as she said, turbocharge our understanding of loneliness and the policy responses to that. And after her death, that was taken up in her name and became the Joe Cox Commission for Loneliness. So they spent a year thinking about what could be done, talking to businesses, to charities, to everyone on the ground who was actually working in the loneliness space and came up with a series of recommendations. So we had the first ever Minister for Loneliness in Tracy Crouch, who was appointed in 2018. They also made funding available, which is obviously crucial because you can't do very much without funding. And they also thought about how you can measure loneliness and embed those measurements across policymaking. What do you think the role of the Cabinet Minister of Loneliness is? What are their responsibilities? She's really there to make sure that loneliness has continued to be prioritised as an issue that when new policies are being considered, 
no matter where that is in government, that loneliness is embedded in that. So that can be transport policy, that can be policy about the built environment. So it's not just that loneliness has to sort of sit siloed in one part of government, that it should be something that's at the heart of all of the decision making that's happening. How would you assess the UK's progress on tackling loneliness pre-Joe Cox to now? Where do you think the progress has been? I think the progress has really been in having that conversation, in keeping banging the drum about loneliness, in making sure that it's present in our policymaking, it's present in our campaigns. Can you just start by describing what your foundation's mission and kind of overall goal is when it comes to addressing the very complicated issue of just loneliness? Sure. So the Joe Cox Foundation exists to build a positive legacy for Joe Cox. And what we do is we work to bring people together, to bridge divides and to build stronger communities. So our loneliness work really centers around our campaigns that we do. Our flagship campaign is called The Great Get Together. So that's an event that we hold in June where we encourage communities to come together based around the more in common message that Jo Cox had. So Jo, in her first speech in Parliament, said, we have more in common than that which divides us. But what we understand is that by bringing people together and by building those connections in communities, it can really help people address issues of loneliness and prevent people becoming lonely in the first place. So it's not just how do we make um, Sheila feel better about herself. It's how do we as a society bring communities together is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's about giving communities the opportunities to do simple things like get to know their neighbours. So actually, if Sheila knows the people who live either side of her, and even if they just say hello to her when she's taking her bins out or going towards her car, it makes a real difference. That social connectedness, we feel, is at the heart of addressing issues of loneliness. And by the way, a bin is a trash can for the uh, wonderful American audience, <laughs> you know, but... Bin it is uh, for this for this podcast <laughs> episode. Um, get us excited about some of the things you've pulled off that really are quite amazing now that you look back on it. I think we've got to reflect on our great winter get together campaign that we just ran. So we ran a campaign over five weeks. And what we said to people is that we wanted to face loneliness together, one connection at a time. So what we did for each week is that we gave people something really simple that they could do bearing in mind that most of the UK was in a hard lockdown at that point. So we had a week called Reach, where we suggested that people just reach out to somebody that they'd lost touch with, whether that's an old friend or your aunt who you haven't spoken to for a year for whatever reason. We had another week which was called Thank, and it was as simple as just say thank you to somebody who's helped you through this really difficult year. So they were really simple things, and it just seemed to strike a chord with people around the UK. So our polling data suggests that we had 3.5 million people who engaged with that campaign. And the data that came back from them is that over 80% said that by taking part, they understood loneliness much better. And about 90% said that it made them feel that they could talk about loneliness more easily. And I think that's a really important bit. It comes back to that stigma. You know, if you can tell somebody that you're feeling lonely, or even if you can understand yourself, that the feelings that you're experiencing are loneliness, it makes it much easier to address that and to find a solution and to move forward. Interestingly, just last month, Japan followed Britain's lead and appointed the world's second minister of loneliness. 
Officials there have said they believe they're in the midst of a loneliness epidemic. And that was even before COVID. And they have come up with a few cute and clever robotic inventions aimed at offering companionship to those suffering from isolation, especially people living on their own and working from home. But definitely one of my favorites is a very quirky disembodied robot hand called Osampo Konojo, which actually translates to my girlfriend in walk. (laughs) So strange, but this thing is covered in a real skin-like gel that radiates warmth. It can squeeze back on command and its designers are hoping to make future models even smell, sound, and sweat like a human partner. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) Look, robots and AI companions aren't a substitute for real human connection, but at least it's something because this is a country that is facing a rise in people who live alone largely because of declining marriage rates. And Japan has more seniors who are widows or widowers than anywhere else in the world. Well, the point is, at least they're trying to address the issue. In America, we too have a large percentage of single-person households, 31% in 2019. And we haven't seen anything like these initiatives that Japan has introduced. Well, speaking of single-person households, I came across a really good documentary film called The Swedish Theory of Love. It came out in 2018, and it examines why Sweden has not only the largest number of single-person households in the world, around 50%, but also where a staggering 40% of the population reports loneliness. And it's such a stark reality because this is a country that designed a super strong welfare system so that nobody ever needs to depend on their family for financial support. But this independence, this freedom from dependence on others, actually created a huge problem in Sweden. I managed to track down Eric Gandini, the director of the film, and we chatted about this. What intrigued me was this very strong idea in Scandinavia that you should be uh, an independent, autonomous person. And just for you to understand, I I am originally from Italy. My mom is Swedish and my father is Italian. So I come from different parts of Europe with certainly different cultures also when it comes to family, social life, and so on. And and since I moved to Sweden, you know, when I was a young adult, I was always struck by how important it is in Sweden to be self-sufficient, you know, never to depend on anybody else. And Sweden, since the 70s, embarked on a huge project of, you could call modernity. There were very strong ideas about moving forward, you know. So, for example, children should never be depending on the parents. As a matter of fact, the average age for Swedish kids to move from home is 18, while in the rest of Europe is like 26, 27. The same thing was applied to elderly people, that no retired person should ever be depending on their children or live together with the children. And and so the project was, and it was sign almost paradoxical, let's together help each other to be free from each other. It sounded great on paper that we should all be independent and self-sufficient, but really as a collective society, it sounded grim. Yeah, I must say that, I mean, the ideas per se were very progressive and they are. I mean, I think that the basic idea was to make relationships a choice. 
So as a woman, you shouldn't be forced to live with a man out of economical independence. It should be your choice to do so. There's an old Swedish saying that I came across, which I'm going to butcher it in Swedish, but it's something like, en sammerstark. Yeah. How, what does that mean? It means lonely is strong. Right. So where does that come from? So en sammerstark, lonely is strong, is basically the idea that the mess of having to deal with other people, of compromising, of negotiating, is just not worth it sometimes. It's by yourself, it, you're strong. And I, I don't know any other languages <laughs> that has this idea. And sometimes I got the feeling that this is almost a, a, like a bizarre training, you know, like you're forcing yourself to be good at being alone. And there's something just silly in that, that as an artist, a filmmaker, I just want to see how wrong it can be. There's a woman in the film, for example, who works with this institution that I told you that deals with dead people. She's a Polish woman who has a hard time explaining her job to her family back in Poland because they don't understand what people living, dying by themselves. It doesn't make any sense. It's almost like a scary idea. Anyway, and she, she says at a certain point in Sweden, if you feel sick or if you are weak, if you're depressed, if you have problems, you cannot really cry in someone's arms. You can fill out a form. I loved the words at the end of your film by the Polish-British sociologist, Emma Sigmund Bowman, who died a couple of years after you'd made your film, right? Mm. And he said that the result of independence is unimaginable and utter boredom. And he believed that happiness is not achieved by distancing yourself from those who are different or difficult to be with, but to learn to live together with people who are different. And what I loved is that he said independence is the beginning of the end of interdependence. And once that happens, we're left with a loss of meaningfulness and in the end, utter boredom. What I found really striking, this is a very wise man who's, who wrote a lot uh, and studied a lot the idea of the modern human being, the modern society, modernity. Uh, and what he pinpoints, I think, is a very simple idea that you become good at things you do a lot. <laughs> and in a similar way, if you don't do things, if you don't train yourself in other things, you become less good in that. And what I mean with that is like spending time with people, socializing, living with people, people who are not exactly like you, people who have different opinions, different ideas. It's an everyday training that we're losing because of the opportunities we have of living by ourselves and socializing through social networks, which are risk-free, as he said. So we're losing the everyday muscle, you could call it, of a social and interacting life. Interdependence, he meant, is also the recognition that you're not a superhuman, super strong person who never needs anybody else. That's almost a narcissistic, I would say Trumpish attitude that you're never wrong, you never need anybody else, you're superhuman. What's going on in Sweden as a result of this phenomenon? Well, one of the biggest ventures is co-live. Basically, these co-living hubs that have popped up all over Sweden. These are affordable, shared living spaces for young people. 
So you have a private bedroom, but all the common spaces are shared. And it has been a very successful initiative and a necessary one in dealing with huge numbers of young adults aged 16 to 24 who are treated for psychiatric illness in Sweden. I'm guessing the uh, long dark winters don't help? <laughs> no. Which is why having some company under your roof to talk to, have dinner with, etc., it has its advantages. And I just want to add that a startup called No Isolation has been campaigning for the government to also appoint a loneliness minister. That's interesting. Um, all right, so where are we off to next? Oh, we go 10,000 miles from New York to Brisbane, Australia. And maybe that's why the audio quality was a bit of a challenge. But speaking with Carla Gerbo, the co-founder of The Loneliness Project, certainly was great. So The Loneliness Project started back in 2019. And at that stage, some research had come out from one of the universities in Australia looking at loneliness. And it concluded that back in 2018, one in four adult Australians were experiencing loneliness. And this statistic really stuck with me because there had been a few times in my life where I had experienced loneliness. But uh, a lot of the research seemed to be pointing at old Australians or young Australians. And I wasn't in any of those groups. And a lot of my colleagues, a lot of my friends who were in the same boat as me, we were in our 40s and 50s, but we were experiencing social isolation and loneliness. And we didn't know we could talk about it. We were embarrassed by it. And it was impacting on our lives, on our health, on our finances. And there was a lot of stigma associated with that. So it wasn't until I read this report that I thought, it's actually okay to talk about this and we need to talk about this. So um, gathered a few friends together, female friends, who I knew had gone through some transitions in their own lives. And we had never used those types of words before, loneliness, social isolation. So we started brainstorming and saying, well, what can we do here in Brisbane and in Australia? And for us, what we wanted was very much to have a community. So this is why we started the Loneliness Project. We wanted to talk about the stigma that is loneliness. We wanted to talk about the research that's out there. And we want to look at opportunities to bring communities together to find solutions. Mm -hmm. Since you started the Loneliness Project, has there been more traction? Has there been um, more awareness of it? And has anyone stepped up to the plate? Yes, there has been all of those things. There's much more recognition that in the mainline mainstream media, we're talking more about loneliness. There's still so much stigma associated with it, though. And more recently, after a couple of months ago, when the Japanese government announced that they would create a Minister for Loneliness, there has been more discussion in Australia on potentially having Minister for Loneliness here, a minister that would you know, talk about the things that we've just been talking about right now, talking about not having the stigma associated with it, about being able to bring people together to ensure that there's not the social isolation and loneliness 
And we would like to see it very much at the community level. People need to almost learn how to socialise again. You used to walk down the street and say hi and so on. We're involved in institutions, be it church or, or whatever. But we just don't have a lot of that any longer. So we would very much like to see a lot of campaigns at that very local level. And just simple things like a program called 10 hellos. During your day, say hello to 8, 10, 12, or however many people. Just say hi when you're walking past or at the supermarket, at your barista. If you see someone in a beautiful top, just say, hey, that's beautiful. You look great in that. And just start those micro conversations. And we've lost that art of doing that. Mm -hmm. So the project, is it called 10 Hellos? Yes, that's going to be our project. So we've just started talking to an artist and we're looking at a campaign of art around 10 Hellos as well as encouraging people to, to do it when they're out and about. Something so simple. Yeah, I think that's just a wonderful idea and it's so easy to implement and to promote so we really believe in the topic. We believe as well that a lot of the groups, um, and I'm sorry, I'm not being critical. There's a role for everyone, but groups seem to very much focus on telling government what the problem is or telling researchers what the problem is. There's not a lot of groups actually talking to the people who are lonely. And this is what you're doing, this beautiful podcast, beautiful case studies of people I just absolutely love each episode that comes out. So I very much want to be a triangle if you want. Talk to government, talk to researchers, make sure we've got the right information, but really have projects that are people oriented. I love the 10 Hellos project. Such a wonderfully simple way to get people to connect. You know, it's actually interesting that we've been banging on quite a bit during this podcast about reaching policymakers and trying to institute almost a societal shift. But our guests today really underscored the importance of community involvement, making real changes at a level where ordinary people can actually benefit from these efforts. Well, it's going to be interesting to see, as we come out of this pandemic, if America will finally recognize the importance of connection and more than just recognize it, actually address it by building policy around it. I mean, why don't we have a minister of loneliness in this country? Seriously, what has this year been for if not to appreciate and value how incredibly important connection is to the individual and to this country? We hope you'll join us next week for our episode about urban loneliness. I'll speak with three young professionals who are confronting this issue by helping to design cities that focus on improving social life, community, and well-being. Is Anybody Out There was created and written by Judy DeMello and Jeremy Warshaw. This episode was produced and edited by Christian Sawyer. Music by Seaplay Narmada. If you're enjoying this podcast, and we hope you are, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And do subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. For more information about what you heard today, please visit theconnectory.com. Let's stay connected. <laughs>